Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Our reading today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to grieve over Saul? I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and get along. Get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, because I have found my next king among his sons. How can I do that? Samuel asked. When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say, I have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will make clear to you what you should do. You will anoint for me the person I point out to you. Samuel did what the Lord instructed when he came to Bethlehem. The city's elders came to meet him. They were asking, sorry, they were shaking with fear. Do you come in peace, they asked. Yes, said Samuel. I've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Now make yourselves holy, then come with me to the sacrifice. Samuel made Jesse and his sons holy and invited them to the sacrifice as well. When they arrived, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, That must be the Lord's anointed right in front of me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Have no regard for his appearance or stature, because I haven't selected him. God doesn't look at things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees into the heart. Next, Jesse called for Aminadab, who presented himself to Samuel. But he said, The Lord hasn't chosen this one either. So Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, No, the Lord hasn't chosen this one. Jesse presented seven of his sons to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord hasn't picked any of these. Then Samuel asked Jesse, Is that all of your boys? There is still the youngest one, Jesse answered, but he's out keeping the sheep. Send for him, Samuel told Jesse, because we can't proceed until he gets here. So Jesse sent him and brought him in. Sent for him and brought him in. He was reddish brown, had beautiful eyes, and was good looking. The Lord said, That's the one. Go anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him right there in front of his brothers. The Lord's spirit came over David from the from that point forward. Then Samuel left and went to Ramah. Our second reading today is from Psalm 51. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways and sinners will come back to you. Deliver me from violence, God, God of my salvation, so that my tongue can sing of your righteousness. Here ends the reading. It's been about 10 years since I uh, first entered ministry, since I first 
um, decided to become a minister, or really started to uh, uh, to look into it. Sorry, I'm adjusting the light on this to see if it gets any better. When I started, I was afraid it would take 10 years. <laughs> I was worried about that. I wanted to get going. I wanted to, to, be, to be in ministry. I wanted to, to, um, to do this work. And I was very impatient. And because I was impatient, I think, I had many false starts. And I went down wrong paths. Then again, maybe they were the right path because they eventually led me to where I am, um, where God wanted me to be. But there have been many cases, many times over the years in my uh, journey to ministry that I have been impatient. And especially coming up as I was finishing uh, seminary because I had uh, first entered into at Star King School for the Ministry, uh, Unitarian Universalist Seminary in Berkeley, California. And I had been there for a year online and then a year in person. And then I, uh, I moved to the United Church of Christ and I came back to Austin Texas, where I was from, and, and uh, entered Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and I was going part-time. I was, I was you know, working full-time through all of this, and so I was going to seminary part-time. Uh, and Austin Presbyterian is mostly in person, so, um, or it was all in person, I mean, so it was mostly during the day, during my work day, and so I, I had to take fewer classes, and I had, I had planned to finish what is normally a, a three-year program in, in five. And I was... Uh, four years into the program um, when uh, when I decided to uh, to quit early, I guess. And I decided to quit early because of a couple of things. The most important of which was that my marriage was in, uh, was in trouble. That I was, uh, my wife and I were having a lot of difficulties dealing with the, the um, strain on our relationship caused by both me going to school basically full-time and also working full-time and never really being around um, the house because of that. And my, my wife was working at the time also, also in ministry. Um, and it was, it was a lot and it was causing us, causing us a lot of strife. And so my, um, my assist, uh, no, my conference minister, who is kind of, kind of like a bishop in the UCC, but UCC doesn't have bishops. I mean, there's no top-down authority there, but the person who was kind of in charge of my region said to me, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get out of this. Like, you don't, you don't need the MDiv um, degree, which is what I was studying for. You can get a master's degree instead, and that'll be fine. And so I did that, and um, I was, uh, I graduated and was approved for, um, for ordination pending call uh, in May of 2017. And everything looked good, and I was, I was really pushing for a way to get into ministry um, in my, in my location, which was in Austin, Texas. And uh, especially I was interested in church starts. And there was a new church start happening uh, at the same time. And uh, uh, it's called uh, Grace, uh, not Grace, uh, <laughs> I've forgotten the name. Oh, so I feel so bad. Uh, um, Grace Cathedral? Uh, anyway, uh, in Austin, in uh, Cedar Park, Leander, Texas. And uh, they, it's a great, it's a great church uh, there. They, they started in 2017. They've been going strong ever since great group and I really wanted to be involved in this church start because I, I just I really wanted to get into ministry and um, I found myself kind of pushing my way in where really I wasn't supposed to be and, and it wasn't a good place for me 
And finally, the, the minister who was in charge of that said, look, you know, I, I know you really want to be involved in this, but it's just not a good fit. Um, you need to you need to step back from this. This isn't where you are supposed to be. And so I did. And then I was trying really hard to, to get a position at the church where I had been interning and then had been an associate minister um, for several years. And uh, for like two, I guess it's been two years. And I had kind of created a position for myself. I'd created a part-time position, a 10-hour-a-week position for myself, because that was what I needed to be ordained. I needed to have at least a, a quarter-time position um, where the church uh, could um, could put me up for ordination. And that was my goal. I was really focused on that. And so it all seemed to be like it was going to be falling into place. It was all going to be working. But, I mean, I felt, the whole time, I felt a little unsure of it, because I knew that it was... I was, I was kind of pushing this. I was, I was pushing forward. I was, I was creating a way. And um, really it felt off to me at the time. And then something happened. God intervened. I got a, a job offer in my full-time work um, in software engineering. I got a job offer to come to Tokyo. And it was something that I had always wanted to do for, for you know, for the 20 years before that, I'd, I'd always wanted to go and live in, in Tokyo. Um, I'd taken Japanese in college. It was it was something my wife and I had been talking about, um, getting out of the country to experience living abroad for a while and, and see what that was, was like for a couple of years, maybe. And uh, everything fell into place, and so I decided to go for it. And that meant a change, a big change in, in my plans. Um, you know, I had to I had to say, look, I'm not going to be here this church that I, I had been working at for several years and um, had was really close to the to the congregants and to the other ministerial staff and I know that the I knew that the minister who had been the minister there for um, for more than 30 years was going to retire in the next year or two and that there was an opportunity to, to, to you know expand my ministry um, in that church and I had to tell them look this isn't this isn't where I'm meant to be and so even as I went to get my to, to, to do um, what they call in the UCC an, an ecclesiastical council, which is the last step of ordination um, before you are considered ordainable pending a call to a church, um, which is a, in a lot of ways a thesis defense. I mean, you write a you write an ordination paper, and then all of the um, all of the members and clergy from all of the neighboring churches are invited to come and, and interview you, um, and and talk to you about your your paper and and really kind of grill you on on everything. And I passed that and was uh, considered ordinal pending call. But even at that time, I was telling my association minister, um, we're gonna be, I'm gonna be moving in a, in a few months um, to Tokyo. And I was trying to figure out how, how to continue my, my ministry in Tokyo. And so we packed up our stuff and we came to Tokyo and we got here. And I discovered within a few months of being here that um, it was just not possible, that there was no way that my ministry was going to continue here in Tokyo the way that it had been in Austin. And the main reason for that was that the UCC, the organization that I was with at the, uh, at the time, was was very regional. And they um, they had agreements with um, another organization also called the UCC in Japan, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, different, it's, a, it's a different organization. But they have close ties, and so um, I would have to work through them, and that would mean doing my ordination process all over again in Japanese, uh, and it just wasn't going to be going to be doable. It wasn't going to be doable, and so I started um, really trying to think how I can get 
you know, what can I do? What can I do? And I started attending, um, uh, I was, I was already attending or I started attending an Anglican church when I got here because they were, they had English services and the, the priest was, and I were on, on very similar wavelengths about theology and everything. And so I started, I even started thinking, man, maybe I can, maybe I can get the Anglican church to, you know, to, um, uh, to sponsor me, you know, in a, in a multi-way covenant with the UCC so I can get ordained, trying to work out all, you know, figure out how to, how to game the system really to get, to get my ordination done. And because I saw it as a goal, right? I've been working for, for, you know, at this point for, you know, seven years on, on this goal. And I really, you know, eight or eight years. And I really wanted to, 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 you know, cross the finish line with it was kind of how I saw it. And, uh, it just, it just, fell apart. It just was not going to work because it was wrong. It was the wrong way to go about it. And I finally gave up and said, okay, or maybe gave in and said, okay, God, this is not what God wants from me right now. Um, I'm just gonna take a break. And so I just took a year break. I didn't, I, uh, I attended services at the, at the Anglican church. Um, part of that time, uh, I lived about an hour away, so it was kind of hard to attend all the time, but I, I tried and, uh, then that you know the the that priest um was transferred somewhere else and they got an interim in and um i just stopped going uh and then finally when covid hit I, that was that was really the end of it um but uh, i just took a break from ministry entirely just completely took a year-long break and when i came back about a year later and started thinking about it again with a clear head um I started listening instead of pushing my own agenda. I started listening to what God was trying to tell me about where I was supposed to be. And what I discovered, or I should say rediscovered was the CUA, the, the Christian Universalist Association, because it was an organization that I had known about since I had started my, my seminary studies years earlier, but I hadn't pursued ordination with them. I hadn't been part of the organization really because all of my um, mentors in ministry told me that I needed to be with a, with a large denomination that could support things like retirement and, and whatnot. But I realized after being in Japan for a year that that was not my way forward, that I was not going to be a full-time minister who just did ministry. Um, I was going to be a tent maker, as they say. I was going to be someone who, who worked full-time, a bivocational minister, someone who worked full-time for a living and also did ministry as an important part of my life, but not as my full-time um, you know, paying job, if you will. And the CUA had always resonated with me because, you know, really I'm a universalist and I've always been a universalist. And so this was um, a kind of coming back for me to this organization that I had I had learned about earlier and had had, had um, really not gotten involved with too much because of these fears that I had. And so I started pursuing ordination with the CUA, but very slowly. Because again, I was not in a hurry now I, I was, I had slowed down. I was listening to what, what God was telling me. And when COVID came around, people started uh, being very vocal on the CUA Facebook page that they really wished there was a way that they could, um, they could come together because there weren't any churches in their area. Um, in fact, I take it back. This was before COVID even there weren't any churches uh, in their in their area and I started thinking well I wonder if we should do a church start online 
maybe that's what people are really really need maybe that's what the what the church really needs right now and then covid of course came and and made everything much you know um, much worse than that we were all working from home we we're all we we're all stuck at home all the time and you know i started because i for a while i thought let me all do a church start in tokyo because that would also be good uh, a cua church start in tokyo but then i thought i really started thinking about this online congregation and so i got on the facebook group and i found some some folks who were willing to help out and you know we did it we did we we started this church and now we're more than a year into it and it's going really well i think it's you know it's growing at its own pace um but it's growing and it's and not just in numbers or anything like that and we still haven't even started taking donations um although uh hopefully we'll have that worked out here pretty soon but but i mean it's not like you know in, in monetary sense or or in like raw numbers or anything but in in discipleship and we have about a dozen people who are really actively involved and um that's that's wonderful and that would not have happened if i had stayed in austin i, I would have it would have been a very different ministry experience and it wouldn't have been the right one for me it would have been not what god was was calling me to And that very long opening story calls us back to this reading today in 1 Samuel. So Samuel is a prophet. He's uh, God's prophet. And the book of Samuel is written uh, from kind of Samuel's perspective in a way. Uh, it's also a history. It's a history of the kings, the very first kings of Israel and Judah. Um, and this, the book before it judges talks about a time in, in Israel's history where they were ruled not by a king, but by judges. Uh, and the judges are, are effectively kind of prophets or, or um, you know, the religious leaders who were also in charge of kind of um, civil law and agreements and things. But not a king. They're, they're, they're not a king. And the way that the story goes is that the people became... Um, jealous of the nations around them because the nations around them all had kings and they didn't have a king. And they thought, we need a king so that we can be like the nations around us. And this is a really important focus, that the, the impetus to have a king came not from God, but from the people, that the people wanted a king. And the reason they wanted it was, was not a good reason. They didn't want the king because they felt like it was right for, for Israel they wanted the king so they could keep up with the Joneses, right? They wanted the king because that's what the nations around wanted. That's what the nations around had. And they thought, why don't we have, uh, why don't we have a king as well? And so they come to Samuel and they ask Samuel to anoint them a king. And, um, you know, Samuel prays about this to God and, and God kind of relents to this. You know, in the story, it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of obvious that God thinks it's not such a great idea, but, but he kind of relents because the people want it so badly. And so uh, Samuel anoints Saul as the king of, of Israel. And uh, Saul is a warrior, and Saul goes out and wins many battles, but Saul is impatient. Saul wants um, to be the king. He wants to be the leader he 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 is um ambitious very ambitious and so he isn't willing to wait he isn't willing to do things in god's time he wants to do things in his own time and in the reading 
from last week that we missed um, because uh, be, because I was not feeling well. We didn't have service last week. Uh, there's a there's a bit about um, Saul offering a sacrifice before Samuel could arrive. So Samuel was was coming to offer a sacrifice um, to bless the army before they went into battle. And uh, Saul got tired of waiting for Samuel to come because they didn't know when Samuel was going to be there, and he got tired of waiting. And so he did the the sacrifice himself because he didn't want to go into battle having not prayed to God about the battle. So he, he performed the sacrifice himself. And then Samuel arrives and is very angry because Saul was not, uh, should not have been performing the sacrifice. It should have been Samuel. And so it's at this point that God decides that Saul is no longer God's chosen um, king. And so God goes to Samuel. Samuel's upset about what's, what's happened. And God goes to Samuel on our reading today and says, stop worrying about, about uh, Saul. Saul's, you know, uh, no longer my, my guy. Take your oil and go to this guy named Jesse in Bethlehem and, and go, um, and I'll tell you which of his sons is going to be the new king. Now, Bethlehem should sound familiar um, because, of course, in, in the Christmas story, uh, it's to Bethlehem that, that Mary and Joseph go uh, to give birth to Jesus because um, there are prophecies that say that, that the Messiah will come uh, from the line of David, from the city of David. And Bethlehem is the city of David because it's the, it's the hometown that David comes from, where David grew up. So Samuel goes, and uh, he's afraid because Saul, he's, he and Saul have had a falling out now. And he's afraid that, that if Saul finds out he's going to anoint another king, that Saul will kill him to prevent the, him from anointing, anointing a new king. So God tells Samuel, well, go and say you're gonna, that you're going to give a, uh, you're going to give a, um, you're, you're going to uh, do a sacrifice and take a bull with you and to take, take an animal with you to sacrifice. Say you're going to sacrifice. And sure enough, when he gets there, the people are worried because again, they know that Saul and Samuel are at odds with each other, right? And so either... Um, Saul has sent Samuel here for some reason, which why would Saul send Samuel to this, to this small backwater town, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere that, that has no strategic value? Um, or Samuel has come by his own, on and by his own, against the wishes of Saul, and that could be worse. So, the, so the, the, the leaders of the town come out and meet Samuel, and they're afraid. And Samuel says, don't worry, I'm just here for a sacrifice. Now that is still kind of strange. Like, why is Samuel here in this place? But they're like, okay, okay, that's fine. So they go and they get themselves ready. And Samuel goes to Jesse and gets him and his, and his sons ready for the sacrifice. And one by one, uh, God tells Samuel that the sons of Jesse are not the one, not the one. And finally, Samuel says, you know, do you have any other sons? Now, we've seen seven sons at this point. And seven is an important number in, um, in both Judaism and Christianity. Seven is an important number. So the fact that there are seven sons and that we see all seven of them is meant to evoke, um, it, it's meant to be meaningful. And I'm not, I don't want to want to speculate on, on the exact meaning, but it's but it's the meaningful number. It's, it's you know there's there's a reason why it's seven. And this is the eighth. This is the the next son, and so this is the son that's not part of the set. You know, um, he was out in the field tending the sheep while the other sons were at home. Um, you know, he's he's the youngest. He's the outcast. He's the one that's that's separated from the rest. 
and so um, Jesse has to has to send for him because he's out watching the sheep. So he sends for him, and they all wait. So here they are, ready to, to do the sacrifice. And Samuel's like, wait. You must wait until we have everybody here. And they all wait for for David to come. And when David arrives, Samuel sees David, and, the, and God tells Samuel, yes, that's the one you should anoint. And he goes over right then and anoints David with oil, making him the new king of Israel. Um, and of course, right in front, it says, right in front of his brothers. So his brothers know something is up, right? They don't, they don't know exactly what's going on, but they know something is up. And here their youngest sibling is getting preferential treatment. Here again, we, we see a tie back to the story um, of, uh, of Joseph and um, uh, the sons of Israel and the, you know, the youngest son being the most, uh, the most popular with the father, right? Same kind of, kind of thing going on here. So then after this, Samuel leaves. And what we don't, we're not going to see because the, the, the readings are doing from the narrative lectionary, they go through the, the Old Testament relatively quickly. And it's, it's a four-year cycle, so every year we get a different chunk of each one of these books. But what we're not going to see in our next reading, but what happens immediately after this, is that David becomes Saul's um, second-in-command, really. He, he becomes Saul's confidant, and um, David is, can, play, uh, can play an instrument, and Saul is dealing with some kind of mental illness, and the music calms him, and so he becomes uh, very close to Saul. And eventually there's... Oh, oh and he, he becomes very close to Saul's son, Jonathan. Very, very close. And uh, eventually there is um, a confrontation between Saul and, and David, and between Saul's supporters and David's supporters. And David wins, and Saul um, and Jonathan are killed in the, in the battle. Um, and David is very upset because he did not want either one of them killed. This is also, by the way, the same David from the story of David and Goliath. So, uh, and, and David, it becomes the most important king uh, in really in all of, of Jewish history. He becomes the, the archetype of what a king should be. Um, and his line is, uh, God promises that his line will rule over Israel uh, forever. What we're going to see in next week's reading is Solomon, his son. And one of the things that I, that I want to point out about David, and we see Saul, and Saul is, is flawed, badly flawed in, in, in his, um, his desire for power. David is also flawed in a different way. David is flawed in his desire for, um, for bodily pleasure, really. And he's he's a flawed individual too. We will see throughout the, the the Bible that many of the of the the main characters of the Bible are deeply flawed individuals, for various reasons. David um, is no different. David sees a woman. You see, so the, uh, even the housing houses in in Israel at this time they they were designed so that you would clump on top of them. Uh, in the in the heat, you get out of the you know, get out of the, from the house and. Often you'd sleep on top of them and other things. But so David looks out of his palace and, and sees a, a woman bathing on the top of her house and immediately falls in love with her. Um, her name is uh, Bathsheba. And, and he, 
he decides he must have her. And so he asks about her, and it turns out that her husband is one of his generals in his army. And so uh, he takes her and sleeps with her um, without, you know, against her will, without telling the general or anything, because the general's away at war, right, fighting, fighting his battles. And uh, she becomes pregnant. And so he, he brings the general back from the line and um, tries to set up an opportunity for the general to sleep with his wife so that he will think that, that he's the father of the child and not somebody else. And when that fails, David has the general put out on the front lines so that he'll be killed by the, by the opponent, opposing army and uh, gets him killed so that he's no longer a problem that David has to worry about. And this evil scheme that David uh, pulls off becomes one of the reasons why uh, he never achieves you know, uh, more greatness in, in God's eyes and things. It's a really interesting story. Again, very flawed individuals. So, that's the story of David and Saul. And then we have this other reading from the Psalms. And this reading is about um, the Holy Spirit. And uh, I know some congregants were surprised to see us talking about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, in the Psalms. They saw one of, my con one of the congregants said, um, you know, it, this sounds like it came from the New Testament. If I didn't know better, I would think this was from the New Testament. And, of course, they're absolutely right. And, that, I mean, that, that language was, of course, well-known to Jesus and the apostles because it was well-known in their religious practice as practicing Jews, right? And so um, the idea of, of God's Spirit, excuse me, of the Holy Spirit, is not new to Christianity. It, you know, it's, it existed in, in Judaism as well. So one of the things that we see in the reading about in Samuel is that when Samuel anoints uh, David, uh, the Holy Spirit comes on comes into David. And David is then blessed with the Holy Spirit from then, then on out. Uh, and then we get this reading from the Psalms about, you know, please give me the Holy Spirit. Uh, don't leave me. And so on. And of course, the Psalms are, are the Psalms of David. So historically, we've, we've understood those Psalms to have been written by David, at least uh, a certain number of them. And so it makes sense that, you, that David would be talking about this. And that we, that's how these are linked together. So, bringing it back to my original story, why why did I tell this story about this before before Samuel? I think I I thought a lot about what this reading is trying to get across because in in a lot of ways it seems like it's just a historical note, right? It's like here here okay, there was Saul and now there's David and this is how David was was anointed, um, and it doesn't seem there's a lot of moral instruction in this piece of <laughs> in this piece of scripture, but I think the point that is trying to be made here. And in the whole story up to this point, not, not just in this little bit, but in the larger narrative about Saul and David and their, their um, relationship, is this idea that um, you know, the best laid plans go to waste. Right? That, that it's, not, it's not what we want. As we, we pray sometimes, you know, it's, let not my will but yours be done, O Lord. Right? Like, it's not what we want, but what God wants. And sometimes our desires are not God's desires. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in what we want. Our ambition is so, is so strong 
um, our desire to, to, to do something or finish something is so strong that we forget to stop and listen to what God is telling us. Um, we, rush, we rush in instead of taking our time. But everything happens on God's time, not on our time. And so what this story is telling us, showing us, is that we have to wait. Uh, we have to wait for God's time. We have to, we have to listen to what God has to say. And, you know, sometimes that means that we have to patiently wait when we don't want to. You know, Saul should have waited for Samuel to arrive. You know, Samuel and, and, and Jesse had to wait while they went and got David out of the field. Right? Sometimes we have to wait. The other thing I think is really interesting about it is, it, is this idea of, um, of the Holy Spirit and of the anointing of David with oil. This wasn't a big public event. You know, Samuel didn't Samuel didn't announce to the rest of the world that that David was now king. He doesn't say anything. He just anoints him with oil. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't tell David what it's about. But the anointing of oil brings on the Holy Spirit, and this is where we get this. You know, uh, this idea continues in the New Testament, and then in a lot of the sacraments of the church. Um, you know, uh, confirmation is often accompanied with anointing with oil in the more sacramental denominations like uh, the Anglicans or the, the Lutherans um, or the Roman Catholic uh, denominations because the, the anointing of oil is supposed to then bring on the Holy Spirit. And this is this continuous story from starting with David and, and, uh, and Samuel. So sometimes it's in those moments where that's, that are not obvious to us where important events occur. Sometimes it's in those those quiet, still moments, um, moments that seem completely ordinary, maybe, or that seem confusing, but not obvious what's going on, that that the biggest changes in our lives can sometimes happen. You know, I mean, David becomes king uh, in God's eyes through this anointing with oil. And the anointing, the anointing with oil itself, God has already chosen David at that point. It's not like Samuel, you know, made it true. Samuel just... Uh, through the anointing of oil, made it obvious, made it made it physical, uh, made it physical in the world. I guess. Yeah, so I think there's a lot we can learn um, from the story of, of Saul and David. And I invite you to read the rest of the story. It's, it's actually, I think, one of the more interesting um, stories in the Bible. I mean, the, the, this I, this story of of Saul and and uh, David and their fight and 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 uh, David's relationship with Jonathan. Um, and and their you know their their close love for one for one another um, is just amazing and it's 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 um, it's a great story I, I really suggest you read it uh, you know, the in, in its entirety not just the readings that we have uh, this uh, this week it's it's really a good one um, yeah with that um, until next week. <laughs>